Praise the Lord. Good morning, church. Let's continue in worship by turning in our Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I am uh, struck with the thought that I forgot the uh, PowerPoint clicker. So if somebody wants to bring that up to me, or Cody, you got it. Um, all right, we're going we're gonna to have a real good connection here this morning. Um, we're going to continue in worship uh, by turning to Ephesians, chapter 2. We're going to be in verses... One, two, four, five-ish this morning. Um, As you're turning there, I just want to say thank you to Pastor Jerry for preaching last week. Uh, It's always such a blessing uh, for me to just be able to come to church and worship and sit under the teaching and preaching of God's Word. And so I was blessed by that, and I've just been all week just kind of arrested by this truth that uh, uh, Jerry brought out from the end of Ephesians chapter 1, that we are... God's inheritance. Anyone else just like blown away by that last week? We are, like God is making us into an inheritance fit for himself. Uh, that's nuts, and because uh, I know my heart. And uh, we're going to talk more about the, the heart this morning. And um, so we're going to be continuing on in, in our study in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Look there with me. I'll read it, and then I'll pray. It says this, and you were dead... In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh God, these truths are once again just um, too much for us to bear. Um, Our hearts cannot fathom your boundless and endless grace. Our hearts that are prone to be unforgiving and unmerciful. Our hearts that are prone to keep score with others. Our hearts that are prone to uh, count wrongs against us. Cannot fathom the riches and depths of your mercy and grace. We praise you this morning, God. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Lord, this morning as we look to your word and we see really some of the bad news of what life was like apart from Christ, I pray that as we look to the bad news, it would help us uh, just have a greater joy in exalting our hearts in the gospel. So help us with that this morning. Guard my words as I preach, God. And um, yeah, may we grow ever more uh, in awe of you as we have a deeper understanding of what you've done for us in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Last night, (coughs) excuse me, in the Nafziger home, we had one of our favorite uh, Saturday evening traditions. Good to have traditions as a family. And uh, one of my favorite Saturday evening traditions in our home is uh, family movie night where we put on a movie uh, and uh, I fall asleep. In about 20 minutes in, anyone else have that tradition in their home? It's wonderful. It's great. Um, so that's what we did last night. Last night was the 
2014 classic, The Lego Movie. Anyone seen that movie? And uh, so I know a little bit about it uh, from what I stayed awake for. It starts out, I know, the, I know a lot about the beginning, so I can tell you about the beginning. It starts out with uh, this little Lego guy, forget his name, uh, he's uh, just loving life. And uh, he's going to work and goes, you know, and he's listening to that song. You guys know that song, right? Everything is awesome. Now you, you're going to be stuck in your head for the rest of the day. You're welcome for that. And uh, they're, loving, they're loving how everything is awesome. And then as the movie goes on a little bit, you realize that everything is not awesome because uh, Will Ferrell, I forget the character's name, but uh, Will Ferrell wants to use his, this mega weapon that he's made to super glue all the Lego pieces together so they'll be stuck there forever. And uh, we ner- learn that it's up to just this little uh, Lego guy to save the world. And how does he do it? I, I don't know. I fell asleep, but I'm assuming that he uh, does. So, um, but the point is, it, 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 I was thinking about this this morning, like it wouldn't have been a very good movie if it was just an hour and a half of everything is awesome, right? Uh, if we just watched that song on loop for an hour and a half, that would not have been a very good movie. We needed to learn the bad news uh, for us to understand and really get invested in what's going on in this movie. And that's true of any good story that's ever been written. Uh, with, without understanding the conflict, the bad news, we cannot appreciate the good news. And the same is true with the gospel. And I fear that too often in the church, we can get stuck in this everything is awesome version of Christianity where it's like, oh yeah, I just, uh, you know, I, I go to church on Sundays and I, you know, try to uh, listen to a Bible verse throughout the week or something and just try to stay positive and stay uh, whatever, stay happy, you know, and, and that, is, um, that is decidedly not the gospel and that is decidedly not the Christian life. Now, uh, in Christ, uh, life is awesome in Christ, and we talk about the reasons for that. But if we don't understand why, if we don't understand how awful things would be if Christ did not come, then we will never truly appreciate the magnificent news of the gospel. As Daryl Johnson says, it's only good news if we first understand the bad news. And so our passage this morning, we're going to go through uh, verses 1 through 10 in Ephesians chapter 2 this week and next week. And this week, we're focusing on mostly the bad news. And we're doing that so that we can have a greater appreciation of the good news. We get to verse 4 of this uh, verses that I just read, and we have those beautiful words, right, that I paused on. But God... It's wonderful, but we can't appreciate it if we don't have a really deep understanding of what verses 1 to 3 are telling us. So that but God is coming in verse 4, but we're going to take some significant time to talk about verses 1 to 3. So um, so you guys ready for some bad news? We all ready for some bad news? Great. Uh, Look with me at uh, verses 1 to 3, and we're going to see the bad news is really bad. It starts in verse 1, just right off the bat, the bat, and you were dead. You were dead. Paul is speaking to believers here, and he's describing their spiritual condition before coming to faith 
in Christ. So that's what the past tense is here. If you're a follower of Jesus, Paul's writing to the the saints in Ephesus, the followers of Jesus in Ephesus, and that's why he can use the past tense and say, before Christ, you were dead. And so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, of one of the saints in Tipton, this is true of you as well. You were dead. However, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is your present reality. You need to understand that. The past tense doesn't apply to you. It's not you were dead before you started coming to church. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it's you are dead. What does that deadness look like? He goes on. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. The trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Your deadness, follow me on this, is both caused by and characterized by trespasses in sin. It's both the cause of your deadness and the result of your deadness. I'll use an illustration to, uh, to make that point. So I imagine that literally everyone in our church has been affected by sickness at some point this year. Raise your hand if neither you nor anyone in your house has been sick at all uh, this winter. I don't think there's a single, there's not a single hand going up. Yeah, we've all uh, been uh, affected by sickness. And um, what happens when you get sick if you get like a bacterial infection? Well, your sickness is caused by getting a bacteria But your sickness also is the bacteria. Does that make sense? You're still sick with the bacteria. So the bacteria causes your sickness and it characterizes your sickness. I'm looking at the the doctors and am I getting this somewhat right? Is this working a little bit? Okay, I got a a, maybe and a a yes. So we're going with it. You are hosting the bacteria and it's making a home in you. And it's gross. Uh, Marcy, a couple weeks ago, sent me a disgusting video that I did not ask for of Addie's throat and the, the strep throat that was inside, and it was gross. I didn't know what I, I just saw a text message come through, hit play. I didn't want to see that. Um, it's disgusting, and um, that is our sin. <laughs> You're spiritually dead because of your sin. Is that your sin killed you, and now you're living in that sin as a part of your spiritual death. And two weeks ago, we talked about, uh, maybe more than that, but we talked about that there's different uh, words for sin in the New Testament. One of the words has to do with the idea of like missing the mark or not living up to a standard that God has set for you. Uh, you're falling short of what God has um, calls us to live as perfect holiness. And then there's another word for sin that is translated as trespasses here, which is like, it's not just I'm falling short. It's like, no, I, I am willingly making the decision to spit in the face of God and do what I want to do. And what's interesting here is we have both words in, uh, for sin in the New Testament right here when we talk about our deadness. In the trespasses, which is uh, translating the word that means it's intentional. In sins, translates the word that means we're missing 
the mark. And so the point of putting them together is saying there is nothing accidental about this. You didn't just slip into sin. You willfully made a decision to sin against God. And because of that, you failed to live up to his standard. And this is what characterizes life apart from Christ. And so if you are following Jesus, it means you have recognized that apart from Christ, I was dead. And if you're not following Jesus, it means this is true of you right now. Maybe it's a little offensive to hear that. The gospel is offensive. You are dead in your trespasses and sins because you are choosing willfully to sin against a holy God. And this is bad news. And Paul doesn't just stop there either. He gives us three examples of how dead we were. And we see the first one is that in your spiritual deadness, when you were dead, the world was your example. Excellent work with that, Cody. The world was your example. Verse 2, in which you once walked, your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Following the course of this world. The Christian Standard Bible says, in which you previously walked, according to the ways of this world. Meaning, the world was going one way, and you were going right along with the world. I like how J.B. Phillips paraphrases this verse. He says, you drifted along on the stream of this world's ideas of living. So I like that. I think that's a great analogy. If you've ever been tubing down a river, uh, following the course of the world means you just tossed your tube on, hopped on, and wherever the world was going, that's where you were happy to go as well. You weren't stri- swimming upstream against any of the, uh, the ways the, the world thinks or what the world values of how, or how the world lives. You see, because of that sin that we just talked about, every single human being that's ever been born has this void in their heart because we've been separated from God. We were created in the image of God for relationship with God. And because of sin, that relationship has been separated. And if you want to understand the world, all you need to do is understand that people are lost and looking to fill that void in their heart. And so this looks different in all different cultures and contexts. If I'm preaching this passage in Guatemala, I would talk about uh, the dangers of like looking to witchcraft to fill that void. If I'm preaching in a Hindu context, I would talk about the dangers of looking to like all these thousands of other gods. It's like I need to appease them to fill this void in my heart. Or in a Muslim context, I would talk about uh, the, the trap of saying I need to build up enough good works so that I can... Uh, Please, God, and that he'll allow me into paradise. And, uh, but we're not in any of those contexts. And I think in our context, we have all sorts of, they're not maybe gods as we know what a, a god is, but they're certainly gods in that they're idols of the heart. There's countless little g gods that people look to for fulfillment. 
So whether it's the God of materialism or the God of sex or the God of success or the God of meditation or politics or astrology or whatever it is, like you look around, you see a lost world and you just realize that people are trying to fill that void in their hearts. And what Paul is saying is before Christ, before you had the solution, the only solution that this world offers to that void in your heart, you were going along with what the world was saying is the answer to that void. And you thought nothing of it. This is true whether you came to Christ at six years old or 60 years old, right? For some of you, it's, you don't maybe have as much of a memory of your life before Christ. But this is, this is something that is true of the human condition. You were following the course of the world. The world was your example on how to live, how to be happy, how to fill that void in my heart. I looked to the world before Christ. When you were dead, the world was your example. And then second, it gets worse. That's what Paul says, the devil was your boss. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Verse 2b, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He says you were following, as you were following the world, you were actually following the prince of the power of the air. And this, is, this isn't a separate point, it's really a deeper understanding of the first point. The world isn't just like randomly against God, it is under the rule of the evil one. And I know I maybe sound like a crazy conspiracy theorist uh, saying that, but this, is, this idea is all over Scripture. Here's just one example in the verse on your screen, 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And so what Paul's saying is that while you were following the example of the world, you were actually unwittingly following the lead of the devil. We don't think about this at all in our culture. Those, those little G gods that we said are so prevalent in our society that we just talked about are actually the work of the evil one. And so when we live in step with the world, when we live to please those gods, we're actually living for the evil one. Which means that things that we see are innocuous or things that we see as deeply sinful can both be used by the enemy to distract you from who you're created to be. So it can be gambling or pornography or alcohol or drug addiction, but it can also be an attitude that says, I'm just living for the end of the day when I can uh, scroll on YouTube for a couple hours before bed or whatever. Um, or an attitude that says, I'm so glad I'm not like that group of people. I'm, I'm so much better than they are. Or an attitude that says, I'm just going to work on building my kingdom more and more until people can't help but notice how great I am. Or whatever it is, whatever just it, thing that creeps in that we start to live for other than Christ. What Paul's saying is that when we live according to the world, we're actually submitting to the devil. And if you haven't read the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis before, 
I highly recommend it as a resource to see how the enemy uses big and things that are big things and things that are just seemingly very small to distract us from the gospel. We need to understand a life apart from Christ isn't just a life following the world. It is also a life where we are following the evil one. And uh, so we see the world was your example and uh, the devil was your boss. But uh, here's the thing. The bad news just keeps getting worse. <laughs> We're not to verse 4 yet. Because it would be easy as we talk about this, we say, whoa, well, it's the devil's fault, right? He's the one who makes me sin, and I, it's not my fault, it's his fault. And uh, Paul shows us in verse 3 that that's not true, because not only was the world your example, not only was the devil your boss, but Paul shows us that your flesh liked it. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So we weren't just carrying out the desires of the world or the devil. We were also carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were doing what our flesh wanted to do. Deep down, you know this is true. You don't have to teach a toddler to be selfish, do you? You give a toddler five suckers and you ask for one, what's he going to say? Mine, right? You don't have to teach him, hey, don't, don't, hey, don't give those away so freely. Make sure you, you hang on tight to those things. No, that's, uh, that's something that is deep down in our hearts, in our flesh. It's innate to who we are. Sin goes along with our desires apart from Christ. So as we think about our spiritual state before Jesus... You need to recognize that your deadness goes all the way down. You followed the ways of the world. You fell right into the traps of the devil. And the whole time, deep down, you liked it. That is what spiritual deadness looks like. It's just hopelessness upon hopelessness upon hopelessness. And in that state, Paul gives us the worst news of all. <laughs> if you thought, surely this sermon is about to get happier, wrong, <laughs> It's about to get more depressing because the end of verse 3 tells us the scariest thing. You were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So when you were dead in your sin, you were under God's wrath. What is God's wrath? What does that mean? When you think about wrath, we often think about like unrestrained, uncontrollable anger, right? Like you see uh, maybe a father says, you, you're going to feel my wrath if you don't shape up or whatever. Um, not that any fathers in our church would ever say something like that. Um, God's wrath is not like that. His wrath is not unconstrained and uncontrolled. God's wrath is his just and right response to sin and injustice and evil. And the wrath of God, we need to understand this, is actually good news. 
The wrath of God is actually good news because it means that God is going to do something about evil in the world. God doesn't just turn a blind eye. And sometimes we can get this picture of the gospel like there's a really angry father and a really loving Jesus. And so Jesus decided that he was going to die on the cross so that he could hopefully appease his really angry father. That's not the gospel. The wrath of God is God's just and right response to our sin. His wrath is justice. And it's good news that God does not turn a blind eye to injustice and evil and sin, but it is bad news for those who are dead in their sin. So when you're in the state of following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, you are by definition someone who stands to take the wrath of God. And God is not wrong to do so. So this is not me trying to scare you into salvation. But it is me telling you straight from God's word that if you are not in Christ, if you have not been saved, then God tells us you are a child of wrath. You stand to take the wrath of God. All the past tense language in these verses does not apply to you if you're not in Christ. And there's nothing you can do about that on your own. Why? It's the first part of this verse. You're dead. You're dead. There is no reckoning with the gospel without recognizing that you are dead apart from Christ. Your sin has killed you, and your sin has made it so you can't do anything about it. And this is true of every single person who is outside of Christ. There's no such thing as being outside of Christ and not dead in sin. And there's no such thing, hear this church, as being in Christ without first admitting that you were dead apart from Christ. And so I just want to speak just really frankly and clearly this morning. If your testimony Someone says, what's, what's your story? What's your testimony? Tell me about your faith. If your story is, I was having a hard time in life, and I, then I started coming to church, and I just always feel so much better when I come to church. You may not be saved. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad coming to church has helped you. But that's not the gospel. To come to Jesus is to say, I confess I am dead in my sin. And it's my fault. I was following the world's example. I'm letting the devil be be my boss. Deep down, I like it. I confess I am dead in my sin. And only Jesus can save me. Like I said, that's offensive. The gospel is offensive. 
It is offensive to preach that the problems of the world are not other people, but the problems of the world are found by looking into your own heart. To say to someone, your best efforts in life have actually been following the devil is offensive. It's not an easy message to swallow, but it's true. And to understand why the good news is so good, we first need to come to grips with the mess that we find ourselves in apart from Christ. So again, I'm not trying to scare you into questioning your salvation, but I do want to just speak so frankly with you and say, if you have not repented of your sin and admitted that I am dead apart from Christ, you need to do that. You need to ask that God would make it so clear to you that you would be awakened to the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We cannot understand the good news of the gospel if we don't first recognize just how dead we are apart from Christ. My pastor in seminary used this analogy one time early, like in a kind of I can't help myself with analogies. I always just wring them out until there's nothing left. So, but um, he he shared. He said that imagine if you're like sitting on a dock on a lake and fishing, and it's a beautiful day and you're catching fish and uh, peaceful, calm. Uh, just one of those days, right? If you're a fisher, if you like to fish, you're like, yeah, that is that sounds good. Right about now, especially with this weather we've been having. Um, and imagine you're doing that, and then all of a sudden, there's, you hear footsteps behind you, you look behind you, someone is just at a dead sprint, they're coming up behind you, they leap over you, they dive into the water, you're like, that's weird, and then they never come up. What just happened? You don't know the person. Somebody else comes running up to you breathlessly, like, hey, do you understand? That person just saved your life. What would you say? What? <laughs> How? I was fine. I thought I was just fishing. And um, how would you tell that story later? I guess someone saved me. I don't know. Someone told me that. Um, anyways, you want to go fishing with me next weekend? It was really nice other than that weird thing that happened. Um, I didn't know I needed saving, to be honest, but that's what he said. But now, we'll flip that analogy. Imagine instead of like fishing on the dock, you're in the middle of the ocean and you're capsized, you have no life vest, and someone comes by with a life jacket on and gives it to you, and then they drown. How would you tell that story? Someone saved me. I was good as dead. And he saved, there was one person, and he saved me tell that story for the rest of your life. He rescued me. Even that is like it's not a good analogy because like you're actually in the it's middle of the ocean by your own doing. And not only did he give you his life jacket and save you, then you were adopted into his family, given eternal life. And it's just, it, there is no perfect analogy. But the point is, again, if we don't understand how desperately we are in need of God's grace because of how royally we've messed things up, 
we will never truly understand the gospel. But when you do understand your nature as a child of wrath, I've done it. I've sinned. I do not deserve to be in the presence of a holy God. Those two words at the beginning of verse 4 are so sweet. <laughs> There's nothing sweeter. But God. This is a problem with preaching in a white church. Hey, but God. Being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You were dead, but God. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who says, I was dead, but God made me alive. End of story. Next week, we're going to continue to verse 10 and celebrate this even more. But this week, as we close, there's just two things. I just want to say... Oh, three things. Uh, if you have not done that, if you have not recognized, come to a place where you say, oh, I'm, I'm dead. I am dead. I stand before a holy God, rightly and justly to take his wrath. And I need Jesus because he's the only one to save me. If you haven't done that, I say this all the time. Make today the day of your salvation. Do not wait. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. You are not promised tomorrow. But it is not an accident that you are hearing the gospel today. So believe. Repent and believe. If you are in Christ, remember your story. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Maybe you're not finding as much depth in your faith as you would have liked, and maybe that's because you think you're supposed to be living this everything is awesome version of Christianity that doesn't exist. Preach the gospel to yourself and praise God for the but God that he did not leave you dead in your sins. That's the second thing. Here's the third thing, and here's how I want to close. It's that this passage uh, just tore me to shreds this week as I'm meditating on these things. I'm convicted of these things because I know these things are true of my life before Christ. But more than I want to admit, unfortunately, they also, in many ways, characterize my life even in Christ. And I still follow the example of the world in many ways. I still find myself living in these kind of, these things that the devil wants me to be distracted by. And I find my flesh, sadly, delighting in sin. And that's my heart. And um, now the fourth thing we need to remember, you can go back actually to that slide with the four points, Cody. You were under God's wrath that is not true of me in Christ. No matter what, I am clothed with the righteousness of Christ. So this is the process of sanctification. Sanctification is a big, fancy theological word that means being made holy, being more like Jesus. And so we, 
enter the sanctification process knowing that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. So number four, I am not under God's wrath. You are not under God's wrath. Praise God. Amen. And yet, we look at those three other things. Oh, God, forgive me. Sometimes the world is my example. And sometimes I do follow what the enemy wants. And my flesh likes it. And I imagine if that's true of me, that's true of you as well. So as we close exulting in the gospel, I want to give us some time, just like we did a couple weeks ago, and do it again. Spend some time between you and the Lord. Say, God, just show me in my heart. And you probably know it right now. But God, show me in my heart. Where am I following the world's example? Where is the devil my boss? And how does my flesh like it? And God, forgive me. And then as you pray that, know that you're experiencing the riches of his mercy and kindness anew, just like they are new every day and every morning. Amen? So we're going to pray. I just want you to spend some time in prayer. Then I'm going to close us in prayer, celebrating the gospel. And then we're going to sing that song we sang a little earlier, Christ our hope in life and death, one more time. And I hope we can sing it now with these truths on our hearts and our mind, boldly proclaiming that Christ is our only hope. Amen? Let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then I'll close this in just a few minutes. Father, we come to you humbly 
in awe of you. We praise you as two beautiful words. But God, you didn't leave us for dead. You made us alive together with Christ. Because Jesus didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rose, conquered death. Made a way for us to be resurrected in him. So God, I just pray as we uh, spent time here just confessing our sin to you, I pray you would just fill this place with just a wave of your mercy and forgiveness as you already have. Just a sense the riches of your mercy in Christ, God. I pray if there's anyone who's struggling with the idea that they need to be um, rid of these sins to be loved by you, you would help them see it is not uh, it is not to earn your love, but because of your love that we want to be more like Jesus. We love because you first loved us. We praise you. Thank you for our hope in life and death. Christ alone. It's in his mighty name we pray. Amen.